That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, here we are back again. We're going to be talking about the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany. This is your first sermon for the month of February 2022. Jake, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm really excited about these particular texts. They're exciting. And uh, we are getting an epiphany and a revelation of how God actually works on these latter, latter Sundays in the season of Epiphany. Do you know anybody who has a birthday on February 28th? Because it will happen in 2022. What? Oh, it's interesting. No, no I'm not yeah. not off the top of my head, but okay. what are they, okay. like four this year or something like that? Anyway, yes. But... <laughs> yeah. Anyways. <laughs> All right. So we begin with Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8. If you want to, you can include verses 9 through 13. We then I jump so. to continuing the Corinthian correspondence, 1 Corinthians, <laughs> skipping chapter 14 and moving straight to chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. And then we have Luke chapter 5, continuing through the Gospel of Luke with Jesus' ministry in Galilee. Mm. So we begin with King Isaiah dying, and mm. uh, Isaiah has a vision. Uh, there's seraphs, there's there's the scary picture of angels, or seraphim, these uh, six wings covered with the faces and the feet and all the stuff. And uh, anyways, what would you say about this passage, Jacob? Well, I think that this is a, this is a, a connection between the Old Testament and the particular gospel. Um, so the prophet Isaiah walks into uh, the, the Holy of the Holies and he sees this incredible, incredible scene. Uh, this wouldn't have been a scene that would have like uh, conjured up um, warm fuzzies. Uh, this would have been terrifying. This is God completely unmediated. And uh, and his response is the proper response. It's not, hey, I'm okay, you're okay. It is, woe is me, I am lost. And why? For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips a.k.a. people who have known who God is, have encountered who God is, and have spoken falsehoods about him. And he says, yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of the hosts. And so I would say that um, when, when preaching about this, is the, one of the first things is that this really what this gets at is a good anthropology. Mm. Yeah, and I think the other thing, you know, if you ever needed a passage to convey the, the the otherness of God, the loftiness of God compared to human beings and our low anthropology, I mean, this is it. The description of God is just that the hem of his robe filled the temple. You don't even, you can't even get beyond that. It's just the bottom part of his robe is, even that is so big it fills the whole temple. It's interesting too, verse 7, the burning of his lips, but they don't actually burn. It's it's a sign of grace that... Purification, yes. He, yes. Yeah, I mean, he. so 
your unclean lips, well, you should be punished. Like, you know, if the law is the law, you're, you know, cut off your lips, like burn them up, stone them, kill them, like it's done. And so the thing touches him and yet he is not burned up. And it's, there's a, there's a mercy there. And it says his sin is blotted out. And his guilt, um, not only just that, but his guilt has departed him. He's like, he's now innocent. Yeah. And, uh, and that's a very, very powerful word and a clean, a cleansing word. When you encounter the, the living God, he, he means to uh, clean you up and not only clean you up, but make you brand new and declare you innocent. That's right. It's not you making yourself clean in order to make mm-hmm. God happy. God does the work. And that's important to see here. Isaiah has not, he's not thrown away like his collection of Pantera records and uh, and his George R. R. Martin uh, collection, and and the only book left in his house is another Bible. Like he's not done anything here. Yeah. All he's received is the forgiveness and sanctifying cleansing of God, and um, his sin has been blotted out. He didn't blot out his sins. He didn't get rid of his guilt. God did it, and so. Um, uh, I think that's just a really important distinction. Who who cleans up who? Well, God cleans up Isaiah, not Isaiah right. cleaning up for God. And he's cleaned up, and you're cleaned up for a very per- for a specific purpose. And uh, for Isaiah's sake, it was to go to his people. And, uh, you know, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And he said, here I am, send me. Um, Isaiah has been cleaned up for a purpose, and you've been cleaned up for a purpose. And, uh, um, and, um, and that's a very powerful thing. God always sets us apart, not just for nothing, but for a calling. And uh, that calling is to bring and deliver his word, his peace, and his goodness and kindness. Yeah, and I, it's important to note that Isaiah says, here I am, send me, not because he's so great, Mm-mm. or because he's the most eloquent speaker, or has the most impressive pedigree. He says it because he's now a forgiven sinner, and that's the message that he uh, comes to bring to people, even though they won't receive it. Like we saw last week with Jesus in his own hometown, preaching in uh, First Church of Nazareth, uh, and they wanted to kill him. Uh, same thing. He's going to go to people and talk to them, and they're not going to understand, and their eyes are going to be dull, and their ears are going to be stopped up. So, um, so that's the mission, and it's it's good because God is the one that does the work, not us. Yeah, and um, and I mean, I love it. I mean, it, this is a, a word of law until you know what I mean. He's like, this is who these people are. They're not basically good who need a little fixing. They keep listening but do not keep comprehend. They keep looking for love in all of the wrong places. You know, this is this is humanity. And uh and uh and I'm gonna and and God's responsible for this. You know what I mean? It's he's the he's the active agent in this. And then he says, How long, O Lord? And he said, Well, until their cities lie waste, until judgment literally comes. Um, that is, uh, the holy seed is its stump. I mean, because God is about to not just make Israel better. Uh, God is not about to make Israel good, but he's about to make them brand new, and he's about to Mm. make them holy. And he's going to do that through judgment and then through grace and the gospel, and this is all going to be delivered through a preacher. Yeah, that, I mean, you may not preach on this passage, and even if you have it read, you may not read the whole passage, but if you do include it, and you do include the whole passage, including the optional verses here, that verse 13, the holy seed is its stump, meaning the new growth is going to come out of the thing that you think is totally dead. That is what the gospel looks like, uh, and that is powerful. That is a, man, the holy seed is a stump. So, uh, that means if you are burned out, washed up, failed, uh, exiled, 
that's now you're now you're cooking with gas. Now the Lord can work. So, First Corinthians chapter fifteen. Uh, this is Paul talking to this church that he planted, and he is reminding them of what is the truest thing. Again, these were Christians that were fighting. They were fighting about uh, which of their pastors was the best social media influencer and who was the coolest they were they had all kinds of moral issues there was the whole like guy sleeping with his stepmom at the beginning of first corinthians that whole thing going on it's it's just a jacked up church full of as sarah connor calls them jack wagons i think that's the term Mm -hmm. she's used um and paul is biblical yeah paul is trying to put them on the right track reminding them what's really true and here he reminds them of the gospel and he says this is the this this is the truth you received in which you stand and through which you're being saved this is the message yes. this is the gospel this is first importance and it's this christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures was buried raised on the third day and then he doesn't quit there he's like and if you want to check the historical record do some fact checking here you go. Uh, he appeared to Cephas. He appeared to 12. He appeared to 500. And then last of all, to, to me. And so this, it's he emphasizes the historicity, the reality that this is something you can take to the bank. Uh, Jesus yeah. died for your sins. I, so, I mean, it's, it's an amazing passage. It's powerful. You could just hit it and quit, to quote James Brown. Jake, <laughs> what would you add to this? Yeah, I mean, I would say, well, that this is the gospel. Uh, you talk to so many people and they'll tell you the gospel, gospel, gospel. Um, but they haven't got the faintest clue as to what it is. Um, you know, um, it is not, the gospel is not love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. That's the law. Um, and uh, there's that silly uh, saying that's often attributed to St. Francis, uh, which is not, but it's a category mistake. Preach the gospel daily, use words when necessary. No, that's the law too. You don't uh, do news, you hear it. And this is where Paul tells us exactly what the gospel is, what he's proclaimed of chief importance. Chief importance or first importance, as our reading says, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's the gospel. And one, it's been looked for and hoped for. It was never plan B. Uh, This isn't supersessionism. This is fulfillment. And that Jesus in his death and resurrection fulfills the scriptures. Two, it is historical because he appeared to real people who lived and then died for this thing. And, uh, you know, and that's very powerful. And they, and then uh, be, uh, the Apostle Paul being the last one. And finally, uh, this historical message is proclaimed about what God has done for us so that you and I might come to believe it as well. And so that's exactly what, I, because believing in it, you have life in his name. Yep. So the Corinthians Those have made a mistake. Those are my three points. I think, and that's great. And the Corinthians had made the mistake of thinking that the messengers were more important than the message. Yes. And they were fighting about who's got the right, who, who's the best messenger, who's the ah. best Christian social media influencer. The rise and, and fall say, of Mar Hill. The rise and fall of Mars yeah. Hill is all about that. And yep. we we do that in this country all the time. We we put all this emphasis on the messenger. Who's the best messenger? Mm-hmm. And what Paul says is whether it was Cephas, which is Peter's other name, uh, or whether it was me and. Paul freely admits, like, I'm I'm like Isaiah, a man of unclean lips. I persecuted the church. Uh, the, the most important thing is the message that is proclaimed, and it is the grace of God for sinners. Jesus Christ has died for your sins in accordance with the scriptures. Uh, and, oh, you know, 
people in the congregation, uh, you still feel like a terrible person, like you're un unworthy. Well, look what Jesus Christ has done for you. He has died for your sins. He has um, taken within himself all of the evil and all of the self-centered narcissism and all of the backsliding and all the doubt and all that. It's all, it's all his now. He mm. has taken it to the grave, and he's Amen. risen again, and, and he left it there. So preach that <clears throat> message. Let your people walk out of the doors of your church feeling lightened, feeling unburdened, feeling forgiven, and feeling set free. And that's the message. And, now and it's really here. happened. It's a historical yeah. thing. So Amen. Right, Luke 5. Back right. to Lake Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee. It's mm -hmm. the, This is the word Gennesaret means harp, and the Sea of Galilee is shaped like a like harp. harp. So it's one of the other names. And... Uh, yeah, so Jesus is standing by the Sea of Galilee, a.k.a. Lake of Gennesaret, and people are wanting to hear the Word of God. There's some two uh, boats there at the shore of the lake. These are tilapia fishermen. Uh, mm. That's the kind of, that's the fish that's in it's the delicious. Sea of Galilee. That you can still get it. It's called Peter's Fish. And uh, Jesus gets into a boat. The one that belongs it. to Simon and pushes out a little bit from all, shore. But it's important. They're all washing their, their nets. They're done. You know it's what I mean? It's the end of the shift. It's the end of the shift. Yeah. And he's like, hey, man, let's uh, let's put out a little way shore. You know what I mean? And um, let's, I love, let's pull a double. I love uh, the other gospel. Uh, the other gospels tell us that the fishermen are like Peter and them are like, dude, we've been out there all day and we didn't catch Jack. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Verse five. Master, we worked mm -hmm. all night long, mm -hmm. caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I'll mm -hmm. let down the nets. Like this is a huge pain, obviously. Mm -hmm. And Peter makes that clear. Simon Peter. <laughs> Um, and so I think, uh, and of course they have this huge catch of fish. Peter, his response is to like fall down. He realizes this is God. They've had He's this in the presence of someone of in control of the world. Yeah. Yeah. And so he says, oh my gosh, I was just so flippant with you and uh, get depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. And Jesus, again, like we said at the beginning, the stump is the seed. Mm -hmm. The thing where you die is where God begins to work. And now Simon Peter has seen his lack of faith, his sarcastic and arrogant attitude, and he now is like, oh, I don't deserve to be in your presence. And this is where Jesus says, aha, now I can work with you. And now we're going to be fishers of men, as the old translation goes, catching people, which sounds little stalkery but uh anyways now you're on my team and they leave everything to follow him mm -hmm. uh this is like paul in corinthians where he says i was persecuting the church and yet jesus chose me and paul leaves everything to follow jesus mm -hmm. so this is the thing the stump is the seed and uh the only other thing i would underline for people about this passage in, in a world which emphasizes so much the idea that you need to have a sufficient amount of faith to make God give you what you want or to work in your life. Um, that's not what happens, at least in the Bible, because here Peter has zero faith. He's like, sure, I don't think we're going to catch anything. I'm an expert. I've been fishing this lake my whole life. We didn't catch anything. Uh, you're a carpenter. You're not You're not staying in your lane, Jesus, but okay, sure, I'll put down the nets. <laughs> like, it's not an act of faith here. Yeah. It's like, it's he's wanting to kind of prove him wrong. It's like, okay, I'll, I'll show you. Like, And, and Peter is fully anticipating pulling up an empty net holding only like an old tin can and a shoe and saying, told you so, Jesus. And so it's not faith, it's lack of faith. And nevertheless, God can work with that because he asks for a mustard seed of faith, the tiniest amount, not even anything really to speak of. So that's what I would say, that God can work in your life no matter how you feel about it. Uh, and he is working in your life. And if you are a stump, man, that is the seed. Absolutely, and uh, you're also uh, you're also a fish, 
and uh, you know on one level and uh, which is being caught in the net of the lords and uh, and you know you look at how these guys they used uh, they were fishing and if you've ever seen the way they fish out on the lake of Gennesaret the lake of the harp they use these nets that just kind of fall to the bottom of the water and then they pull them up really quick and so up from the bottom the net catches you and indeed, that's how God actually works, is from the bottom to the top. You're completely unsuspecting it because you think you're basically good. You have an encounter with God, which tells you literally, as we've been, you know, from the stump of the seed, you know, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a man of unclean lips. Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful person. That never come, that never revelation comes from above. It comes from below. It upends you. And, uh, and uh, this is how God upends us, from the bottom to the top, from a word preached, uh, water in baptism, uh, bread and wine. This is, this is the net by which he uses and uh, enables us also to be fishers of people as well, where we deliver this good news that's historic and that uh, has the power to uh, turn those who do not believe into those who do believe. Amen. Well, that'll do it for the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany. Ooh, this is a short UFC. episode. I know. Well, hey, the gospel is a little word. Yeah. Uh, and we, uh, we got right we'll, to it today. We'll, I know. We'll make sure next week is super long. All Filled right. with lots of illustrations and, uh, and random ramblings. Just like any good preacher. <laughs> Blessings, y'all. See you next week. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.